0: Like, can I want emotional security and gifts at the same time, or do I have to pick? <laughs> you only get
1: one, Bean. What is it?
0: Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fonteneuve, purpose and intuition coach. And
1: I'm Melissa Grushka, Maury's fresh boyfriend for this week. <laughs> <laughs> we want to talk about more love today, Bean. Are you ready? Let's talk more love. Great. Fantastic. So for those of you just tuning in, um, this is my (laughs) French accent. So this is from the last episode where Maury... Your French accent is really bad. Oh, thank you. Maury, (laughs) it's a very heartbreaking um, story of romance from her early years. And we were talking more about how the mythology of love and romance, and we wanted to come back and talk a little bit more about how to have a healthy form of love and not a fresh boyfriend who ghosts you while you buy them an apartment. All right, that's it. That's it for my... <laughs> oui, oui, bonjour, baguette. What? That's it.
0: Uh-oh. Oh, I've never heard you... Do French. In the... 15 years that i've told you this story or i don't even know how long it's been have i ever heard you repeat the french accent back to me i don't and think it's so delightful okay good delightful. i'm glad
1: i kept that a secret from yeah. you
0: i'm a little triggered
1: oh I'm it's, okay. so, it's because my french accent is <laughs> so good it is well no because we were saying it's such a big topic yeah it's a huge topic we need to but wait can we cringe it up before we do that oh let's cringe it up what do you what do you got something for me always oh yeah. actually I had something and I went to text you after it happened and then I stopped myself because I was like I'm gonna save it this one was actually very extra beanie so I was like I I have I literally went to a- text you You're I'm already uncomfortable, uncomfortable. I knew I'm you were gonna say that it. I, I wait I you'll like get I more know. uncomfortable as I share So I was calling a hotel in Canada where they speak French. I was calling a hotel in Montreal. Not someone with an accent. (laughs) Bean, let's preface this with Bean has always thought that I cannot understand people with accents, which is categorically false. No. I guarantee (laughs) this story is
0: about to prove me right. So I'll just shut up and let you dig your own grave. I'm telling you,
1: I can understand, but she has forever made fun of me. Like if I see anyone who has any accent other than like American English, she thinks that I can't understand, which is (laughs) totally not true. Now, proceed but anyway, to tell us how that happened. Fine. This woman answered the phone at the same time I had the window down, and I was picking up my son, and I had an AirPod in, so there was a lot of muffling. So she answered the phone. You sound
0: like excuses. I I don't mean to cut you off, but I just well, you did cut me off.
1: I'm sorry. Um. So. <laughs> She's saying to me in a French accent something, and I say to her, oh, I'm sorry, I don't speak French, I only speak English, and she pauses and says in her French accent, I'm going to do a French accent again, she says, oh, ma'am, I did just say that, I did just say that in English, and I was like, oh, I'm sorry, I was good in here because of all these external noises. Anyway, I immediately thought of you and she must have. You can't handle accents. Me. Although I'm I, happy to hear that you also are like this about
0: European accents because otherwise I was starting to think you were racist. Come on. I'm telling
1: you. And plus, that one, there was a lot of side noise. You can't do it. You
0: can't but do it. Made it. Me you, feel uh, sad. That sounds like I an apologize. excuse. Whatever.
1: You, All right, you cringe it up then. You cringe it up with your non racist cringy moments.
0: My cringy moment comes from going to a Pink Floyd cover band show last oh, weekend. You're so cool. I'm, uh, I'm not cool because I went to this cover band concert knowing that I only know one. How many Pink Floyd songs do you know? I don't know all of them. I just don't know their names. Just sing one and I'll tell you if I know it. The only one I know is We Don't Need, need No education. education. Hit me with
1: more. Hit me with more. See if I, don't I can pop on ones. your singing train. I don't Beep. think I know Maybe
0: I do, but I don't know their titles. Choo choo. But my point is they didn't sing any ones I knew. Because oh. a cover band is obviously for people who are fans. Who like, you know, know these songs. And know like the,
1: the B-sides. And know the deep cuts. Uh, uh, wow, the B-sides? Wow, like of the cassette tape? Is that or yeah. the record? Oh, wow. Right. We're talking about no, Pink no. Floyd. I'm not talking about Spotify.
0: i wow about records. Anyway, my point is being that I went to this show... And I was really into the music. I was vibing out with the band. I was really into what they were doing. And everybody around me was like so excited about all these songs they knew. And you know what happens when you're in a group? Yeah, but you know when you're excited, when you're in a group, and everyone knows the words because they're super jazzed. They keep looking at each other and making eye contact and singing to each other really aggressively. Yeah. Which I would have been doing if this was like a, I don't know, Whitney Houston cover band or a Fleetwood Mac cover band or... A Biggie Smalls cover band. I'd be oh, good. Oh, wow. wow. But it was a Pink Floyd cover band. So <laughs> I, they kept looking at me with excitement, anticipation, singing the
1: words to me. Oh, strangers I... wanted to make eye contact with you? Yes, but that's no, that, what that doesn't happen. Happens. No, that it doesn't does. happen to everybody.
0: No, seriously, when you're, you've never had that experience. We'll see in Nashville. Anyway, my cringe moment is that there, I just couldn't reciprocate. And so they would like be singing the words really passionately. And I would just have to, like – I think at one point I waved at one person. <laughs> What
1: are you, my mom? I was
0: like, "Hey, I'm here."
1: <laughs> I bet you played the part. I disagree. That's not. That's not even that cringy. I felt I mean, cringed out. I felt uncomfortable. All right. L- honestly, let's just get down to business. Okay. Let's talk about love, ma'am. Again. Talk about it again. I love love, and we had so much to say last week that I thought we should just keep elaborating. Plus, last week yeah. we were kind of Debbie Downer. We were we a were. lot of like ghosting and all this sad and the fresh man and how <laughs> he ditched you in your apartment. And how you just remembered to get sad about that now after 15 years. Yeah, I felt really angry when you told that story. A lot of emotions came up. Anyway, so this week we're going to keep it a little lighter and fresher and give you a little more insight into love and how we love and how we categorize love. I think that um, for me, you tell me if
0: you agree. Like okay. the first episode on love was about breaking down all of these yeah. like crazy ideals we have. So Break like we're, we're trying to rebuild it in a healthy way, I would say, in this episode.
1: I would totally say that. Because I felt like last time we were all like ghosting and sad stuff. And this time yeah. it's like, and let's- And why shouldn't you believe in love? And marriage is, lo- is just yeah. an economic condition. Yeah.
0: I was a little Whoa. cynical. Whoa. All right. So this we'll time be... we're
1: going to be like, how do you love? And let's how healthy- love, love Yeah. And what's a healthy okay. way to love? And what's that look like? So that we can all take something away that is not depressing. I'm down. Word up. So I'm going to (laughs) start Word by sharing a quick little background on attachment styles, which probably a lot of people have heard of. The two we were really going to address today were attachment styles and love languages. I've got a lot to tell you about love languages. I feel like love languages is more well-known than attachment styles.
0: But there's some
1: things you don't know. No, no. I just mean as a whole. No, there's
0: some things about love languages you don't know. (laughs) Oh, wow. Mysterious. That I've uncovered.
1: Oh, all right. I'm just going to give it a real brief background um, attachments. The idea of the attachment styles was founded by psychoanalyst, John Balby Bowlby in the fifties. And then it was expanded upon by um, Mary Ainsworth. And it's basically just telling you the type of bond you form with your primary caregiver from about age six months to two years old hmm. sets the tone for how you'd handle relationships for the rest of your life
0: i a hundred percent agree
1: but on that timeline specifically that was where i yes. took a little six I months so to two years yeah and how your primary give uh caregiver responds to you in that time yeah. and how you feel with them is how like the whole rest of your life how plays you out the
0: world it's true yeah
1: it's like a yeah. short little 18 month period and then it's like good luck yes. good
0: luck now it's this like- is happening it's like the limiting belief systems from my method. Like I always say they get implanted real early and then that's the way you see the world. Yeah. So this makes it, sense. It tracks for
1: me. It, oh, good. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I'm with um, it. I, so it's basically what type of sense of security that this caregiver provides you with as a child and then it translates into even romantic partnerships and and friendships and all of these things. So there are three, sadly, three insecure types of attachment and one secure type of attachment. What I know, there's four all together. Wait, so I, there's yes. four styles and three of them are insecure
0: and only one is secure.
1: I know. So so secure.
0: I'm gonna start with the sad
1: ones more. Okay, Um, we're
0: like we're gonna build you back up, and then (laughs) by talking about about your sad childhood,
1: (laughs) (laughs) your mom stopped loving you. The first one is anxious. Um, I actually wrote when I my notes I took were more geared towards how this presents itself later in life in romantic relationships. Yeah, uh, more so than what the relationship looked like as a child. Just yes. because I think it's more applicable at this point. It, I'd imagine most listeners right now are not five years old, but rather I, I, I hope not so. <laughs> so the first one is anxious. Um, in this type of romantic relationship, also referred to as preoccupied, the partner of this person is often the better half. And this person who has an anxious attachment style seeks approval, support and responsiveness from their partner. Um they were often these were the kids who often grew up thinking that they were supposed to take care of other people's feelings, which uh-huh. majorly ties into your business yes. and stuff that you've told me about myself. Um and so they're kind of codependent. So then in romantic relationships, they're they remain really codependent. And they believe
0: that their value is to take care of others. Yes. Why is this that why is that called anxious?
1: I think they're more anxious in terms of they're seeking approval from their partner, like I just said. Oh, gotcha. So you. they're anxious about how how much the the uh, how true the love Level. is that they're receiving. Got you. Okay. So they're always like, "Am I okay? Are you mad at me? Did he didn't mm. text me back right away? What's that all about?" Okay. You know what I mean? You know gotcha. The second insecure style is referred to as avoidant, um, mm. and these people are more like lone wolves. They're strong, independent, self sufficient. Um, they're not. It's not even necessarily a physical thing, but more of an emotional thing. They just like like to kind of keep themselves to themselves, and they don't feel like they need a partner to feel whole. Which yeah. I think is kind of rad. Um, well, but I unless it in some I ways mean, it comes unless, from a,
0: a trauma response of being so that's neglected. not neglecting,
1: yeah. right? Exactly. They don't want to depend on others. They don't want others to depend on them, and they often don't seek support in social bonds. In any way, like they don't talk to a friend like I'm sad because this happened to me. Right. So they just kind of handle it on their own, which is a really unhealthy way of dealing with things. Uh, the la- the last sad, insecure style is called disorganized, also referred to as fearful and avoidant. Um, it's a very, as the name says, it's a very disorganized type of person. Uh, they tend to show unstable and ambiguous behaviors in their social bonds. Oh. Um And this I think is super fascinating, which I can't almost can't even understand. But the partner and the relationship themselves are often the source of both desire and fear. Uh huh. What is that all about? That's like a hot take. Yeah. What? Can you explain it? Yeah. It's that, you know, I think that we
0: are raised to believe that the things we desire are dangerous. Right. And if we're in this avoidant slash disorganized style, right it's like you want the love of this person so much that it's also kind of frightening to feel that you need to rely on them to get it like they they pose a danger because you need the thing so badly from them, so them and then they let you down and that's that's how i would interpret it
1: wait so those are the three insecure types those are three insecure so the and that the disorganized people don't regulate their emotions very well and they avoid strong emotional attachment because they don't want to get hurt right oh yeah oh that's sad I but it's a little confusing because they're up and down so i'm not interested in that <laughs> To all those so fellas you, out there, disorganized, no thank you. Melissa says no. <laughs> You're out. But last and, but not least is the healthiest, which is secure attachment, which is basically your primary caregiver did everything you needed from them as a child to always feel you could rely on them um, for safety and love. And as a result, that these people are more comfortable expressing their emotions. Um, they can easily depend on a partner without you know, letting nonsense get in the way and their partners are able to rely on them very well. Um, relationships are based on honesty, tolerance and emotional closeness because you felt safe and understood and seen during this early period of interaction from six right. months to two years. Makes sense. So I, would, I want to say this before everybody's like, oh my God, I am one of those insecure ones because I guarantee you the majority of people are probably some, fall somewhere in that insecure attachment style. Yes,
0: I I believe actually that most of us are one of the three and then through healing and through transformation and evolution and working on self and the yeah. inner dialogue, we can move into four. Like I definitely yes. was anxious attachment. Four, 100, sure. Oh, that's funny. Yes, for sure. I was going to guess what you were, and that's actually what I was going to say. Oh, sorry. I took that fun away from you. I 100% was that. And then through like working on myself and my own like healing, then I really feel
1: like I'm now the fourth one. But I agree. And I think that you also found a partner who was also willing to work on himself to the extent that yes. he was also able to get to a four, yes. a secure attachment yes. that. That really worked to your benefit because I think it's probably a massive struggle. In fact, I know it's a massive struggle um, when you have two different attachment styles and you're in a romantic relationship Yeah, because you're seeking completely different things and feeling completely unseen and unheard by somebody who only knows their form of attachment.
0: But do you think that a secure attachment style can work with an insecure attachment
1: style? I think it's tricky because you're looking for honesty and openness. And a lot of these insecure styles are people are lone wolves or retreating and scared of being intimate and close. Yeah. So how can you get close to somebody who's not able to open up in that way to you? Right. I think that's
0: where it, for me, the language I would use in my work is like, you're on different frequencies. Totally. Exactly. And so it's it's really hard to make that work if you're at a healed frequency, you're in a secure frequency, and then someone's still healing their pain and not able to come at you at the same level.
1: Do you think that if one person is secure and the other person is growing and working on themselves actively, that the secure person is more able to wait around for them to learn and grow?
0: I think it is a very fine line as long as the secure person is upholding their boundaries, getting their own needs met, and not trying to fix the other person. But then I'm kind of struggling because I'm like, if you're trying to fix the other person, then you're probably not the fourth attachment style. You're probably the anxious attachment style trying to make the other person better. I guess I just can't see if you are in a secure attachment style, which I don't know, again, in my language, it's like you've done the work, you've healed, you're at a different frequency where you're self-fulfilled first. Although I
1: think it should be said that some people do just come from this environment. Yeah. And as a result, like, I have to be honest, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but uh, I You think you're the fourth like, one, naturally? Do you not think I am naturally? I think that's where I go naturally. I don't necessarily think it's been reciprocated in a lot of my relationships, but I, I'm yeah. open to hearing your opinion on this. Read it to me again, the fourth one. I'm going to read verbatim what I wrote for Secure Attachment. Implies that the person is comfortable expressing emotions openly, can depend on their partners, and in turn let their partners rely on them. Relationships are based on honesty, tolerance, and emotional closeness. Ultimately, you felt safe, understood, comforted, and valued during your early interactions. I think you felt that
0: way during your early interactions for sure.
1: I think that when you're feeling
0: at your best – Yes, it's number four. I think when you're feeling like every human yeah. not at your best, it goes into
1: the avoidant one. Very interesting. I don't think I'm a lone wolf. I'm very into like having a community and family and friends close. But I could see why you would say that because I do shut down. Do you, I was just going to say, do you think you shut down when you're like,
0: okay, it's not, this yeah. love is not available to me in the way I yep. want. 100%. Middle fingers up, peace out.
1: Wow, wow. Peace out. What's Is that, that not you? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Totally. Can you have a certain Oscillate. attachment style, but it, repre- it, it presents itself as different attachment styles as an adult? I bet. You I add. think
0: that this has to do with coming from your healed self or coming from your traumatized self. And I think <sighs> you can go back and forth into the various attack. This is the same problem I had if you guys listen to our personality test episode with like sticking people
1: in categories. <laughs> Why are you so mad? Oh, I get oh. mad about the categories. Yes, I agree. It's always hard to categorize people. Yeah. But didn't you think yeah. that these, you were kind of on board with this. You were kind of vibing on this when I was sharing it. You were like, I agree. This lines up with everything I believe.
0: I believe that you absolutely learn the way that you are meant to be in relationship at a very early age, and you carry that forward very unconsciously. However, when you said there was three insecure and one secure, I was like, oh, that just feels like a healing path to me. That just feels like, okay, this is the childhood trauma I experienced that I then now protect myself through avoidance or through anxiety or through this organization. And then when I become aware of it and I go back and I work with those aspects of myself that were harmed and hurt, that you can then move into this fourth style of, of, I think it's like self-fulfillment.
1: I even, um, I had therapy this week and I was in the middle of sort of reading up on attachment styles. And I asked my therapist what she thought. And she said, oh, I totally believe in all of that. Yeah, and I didn't even elaborate. It's a
0: therapeutic cause... thing, totally it's been designed
1: by a therapist. I was just curious what her thoughts were. Yeah, um, but I didn't really have time to expand on it because I had a lot of other things to discuss. Yeah. So I was curious what you thought um, about why therapists are really attached, for lack of a better word, <laughs> to attachment styles and categorizing people in these ways. Well,
0: I I see therapy as fully about self discovery. And so I think that if helping people understand the way that they create attachments helps them understand themselves better, that's why this works in therapy, because it really is enlightening to understand how you become attached and how that attachment style then causes you to act and causes other people to react. And then you're also able to see people for their attachment styles and maybe understand your partners better. So I think that from a therapeutic lens, it's really about self-discovery and understanding self just to be said i believe as someone who coaches around mind body and soul yeah that the thing that's missing from a lot of therapeutic conversations is the soul element
1: so and you think this touches on that or does not touch on that i that's where i think i'm
0: inserting the conversation about the attachment styles are obviously relevant and clearly they've been studied and they're very real what's missing is the healing of those to then move into this fourth attachment style. I think when they're presented as four styles that you fall into, there's not really a trajectory that's presented that's like, oh, you get to actually move through into the secure style. Maybe there is. You do the work. Yeah, yeah. Maybe there is. Maybe that's the way that therapy deals with it. But just from the way that you presented it to me, I felt like that's what was missing. It was like the healing element of moving into a more secure style.
1: Because really a lot, even what I was reading, it was like, you are one of these four things. That's it, period. right. But
0: there's, the, I see, I, I think that's that's where I disagree. I get it.
1: But it led me to believe, obviously, I'm starting to wonder, like, which one's my husband and what are my kids like and yeah. all of these things. Yeah.
0: And it helps you as a parent, I think, to figure totally. out how to
1: make sure your kids
0: get what they need to be as healed and secure as possible.
1: Totally. You know, my oldest has, I think, more of an avoidant personality than my other yeah. two. Um, not She's not wrong or right. Nobody's better yeah. or worse than the other. But I will say that... Uh, I had some very serious postpartum. I'm sure you remember following her delivery because there were a lot of unexpected complications. Um, And I had to be separated from her for a little while after I had her. And um, so I had a very, very bad postpartum depression after her and she didn't get any breast milk. And she, I don't know. I just, even though I never felt anything but absolute joy and love towards her, I feel like she didn't get all of me, but I'd say that was before six months but sometimes I wonder, oh. did that play a role? Like yeah. with me being in and out sort of, um, and, I, and night times were really hard. I wasn't able to stay awake with her because of what had happened. Yeah. And yeah, so sometimes I wonder, did that really impact her? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can hear in your voice oh. that that also <laughs> makes you feel bad. Makes me feel sad and yeah. bad because it was so out of her control. And I don't want to have impacted her negatively in that way. Yeah.
0: But I also think that it's an experience that her soul needed for some reason to heal and to grow through. I know. I know, I know that. I we know you feel that. This.
1: But when it comes to my kids, like I don't want them to have to be learning like really sad lessons. Like, I didn't feel like my primary but caregiver that's... was available in the early months. Well, okay, hold on. Let's
0: talk about available. <laughs> I think that you are the most available mother. I think that you there's a difference between creating harm from a place of, like, self-centeredness, selfishness, um, addiction, right? Like, that's that's a different kind of harm. I think suffering through postpartum and trying to just get yourself back to a stable, steady place so that you can then be there for your children, which you very much did, is one, very much outside of your control. Two, you did absolutely the best you can do. And I just think as mothers, we put a lot of fucking pressure on ourselves to have it perfect all the time. And- I don't think that that is going to set our kids up to grow either. I I mean, if we're raising them in this like bubble of perfection, the world is going to really hurt.
1: You're right. So that's why
0: I say the soul needs it for growth because she's developing what she needs to develop for whatever other experiences you don't know are even coming
1: yet that she's going to require what she got. I don't want anything. I don't need any hard lessons for my kids. But yes, they do. I get it. I get it. I get it. So forget them. Forget those. All All right. Silly forget dunnies. the kids yeah all right should we talk about love languages i was just Switch gonna say, it up? this again <laughs> didn't feel so bright and airy like we were aiming for so yeah then bring it in fun do some all fun right. stuff i'm gonna talk to you about love languages
0: how yeah, much you, you know are. about
1: love languages do you know the five basics the basics what are the five gift giving Yep. Yeah. um acts of service Yep. Yeah. physical touch yes uh, words or something like yes. language, words of yes. approval, or something like that. What is that?
0: It's close. Okay, so you got four of them words of affirmation, quality time, quality physical time. touch, acts of service, and yeah. gifts, receiving gifts. Yeah, and so the five love languages was created by Dr. Gary Chapman, Thank and you, the Chapman. book was written um decades ago, it's been updated several times since so I think the latest version was like a 2015 version um I think it was written in the 80s or 90s by Dr. Gary Chapman but did you know when you hear doctor you're always thinking like oh this is a a doctor (laughs) Gary Chapman went to seminary school so his PhD is in seminary and he's a pastor does finding that out change it for you yes yes me too Sorry. sorry I know um so it's not scientific. It comes from his experience in counseling couples. And mm. basically, it's meant to give you a sense of how your partner wants to be loved so that you can show up
1: Ooh. in a way
0: that meets their love language. So wait, I'm right. going to guess. I
1: back. I think that's nice.
0: Yeah. I'm going to guess that your love language is, um, ready?
1: No, because I kind of almost feel like you're going to offend me. Yeah. It's words of affirmation. A hundred percent. Yeah, but I don't think it necessarily. I wasn't sure. I don't think though. When we say them out loud, I think about my younger years, and I'd say, Mm. like in my earlier twenties, it was probably different. I feel like my love language has evolved. It changes tremendously over the years.
0: What was it in your twenties? Gifts,
1: probably more gifts, and I'd say physical Physical. touch. Yeah, yeah. Gifts. What do you think mine is? That kind of stuff. Uh, For you, I'd say quality time.
0: Oh, yeah it's tied between quality time and words of affirmation for me i you know I like what else i really nice like things about myself
1: i do too and i do actually also like acts of service i if i had to guess i was I'd gonna say I was that tied, was what you were tied with too. like i'd love it if like someone just like brought me a coffee and was like yeah Here, i was just thinking of so you so
0: tj's love language is acts of service for sure tj's so, is a hundred percent
1: and the oh, way that he, i would never
0: have thought that but this is what's interesting about love languages is like that's the way he shows his love because that's what love is to him. So right? every morning when I wake up, my toothbrush has toothpaste on it, my coffee's made in my favorite <gasps> mug with the top on so it doesn't get cold. Like he is 100 100- so romantic. It's very sweet. And I love it and I feel so lucky that he takes such yes. good care of me and it's not my love language. <laughs> You're like thanks my love but language no is like thanks. when I get ready I want him to be like wow you look beautiful.
1: Doesn't he do that too? Not really. I do it to you. You I'm do. I get it I'm from you. I your love language. Every time you sit down on this podcast I'm like god damn yeah, you're beautiful. You. Yeah, so I
0: get my needs met from my best friend. But no, I <sighs> have just I think my point is that like I, I the reason that these love languages do make sense to me is that it really like when I first heard them realized oh people give love in the way they want to get love and that's not actually what your partner's looking for. It's about getting to know your partner. So I would say the pros of love languages are, you know, it really promotes this idea of being selfless and empathetic and looking at the person across from you and trying to really empathize
1: with what they need. And then I think that makes you more intimate. Wait, I have a wild question. I couldn't think of what my, my, Maury, just for the record, Maury knows my husband extremely well. Yes. Um, And when I was thinking about it, I couldn't think of what his love language is. Oh, his is a hundred. Yes. Oh, you know it. I knew you'd know it. Words of affirmation. Mm. Two million percent. You think? Yes. Do you think we have the same love language then? Yes. Wow. You would think think it would be a little easier then. (laughs) Doesn't mean that you always
0: remember to give it to each other.
1: (laughs) But I think that he's a hundred
0: percent. You do? Yes. Wow. That's how we used to vibe. Is I'd just be like, "Corey, you're the smartest." Corey, <laughs> <laughs> Corey, you're the funniest. And he'd be like, "We're best friends."
1: <laughs> Are we having a good time right now? <laughs> exactly. We're all laughing,
0: Corey, because you're You were funniest.
1: like, "No, your laugh is the best." He was like, "It is." <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anyway, you're so, right.
0: You yeah. Nailed it. But yeah, we don't always – we can't give it to each other when we're also not feeling so good about ourselves. Like I think that when you – and that's just a part of just day-to-day life and marriage is that you're not always on your game. You're not on your A game. You're not giving yourself the love language. So how are you going to give it to someone else? You're
1: right. That's my Gosh. hot take.
0: Gosh. Okay, but I'll here's call. my problem. Are
1: you right? Yeah, here. Tell me your problem. But keep it light I and airy and fun. Love is love and we love it. I think that
0: this book, which was written again in the – I think it's 80s. I want to say this right. 80s or 90s. Um. First of all, there's footnotes throughout the book, and it's footnoted to the Bible.
1: Oh, that's the that's where my head went. When you when you
0: are you allowed to say that? Are we allowed yeah. to say like the Bible? It's my opinion. What? I don't have any problem with the Bible, but I think the fact that we have mass consumed this book as if it's a scientific thing, and it's actually footnoted to the Bible, that makes me nervous. According the Bible, to Bible interpretations,
1: yeah, A-OK yeah. in my book, okay in my Bible.
0: So, And then I also, I mean, my other big thing is like it's super heteronormative. Like when you look at the examples in the book, it's like list your ways that you appreciate your wife takes care of you. And the men will be like, she cooks dinner. She takes the kids to their soccer games. She (laughs) cleans the house. I'm not kidding you. And then they ask the women and it's like, he bought an RV. He lets me spend money. He helps with the laundry. It's always helps (gasps) with the household. Yeah, so it's a little heteronormative. He babysits heteronormative the and, kids. I hate when people say yeah, that yeah, about yeah. their own Ugh, parent. He doesn't babysit them. They're his kids. Yeah, that's not okay. So anyway, it's a little heteronormative. But guess what? I also found eHarmony yeah? updated the five love, love languages because they surveyed oh, their customers. Nice. And they were like, do these five still relate in the you know era of digital dating?
1: Yeah. And
0: that. and post-pandemic and all of that.
1: Ooh, and yeah. so they've
0: updated them with two new ones.
1: Ooh. Ready. You're blowing you my a mind. Wow. Shared
0: experiences?
1: Oh, that could like be couples that's a who great really love want
0: to make memories together yeah, and like really I that. vibe on that.
1: And yeah, then I vibe the second on one
0: is, which I don't know if I buy this cuz I think this <gasps> is, is, is just true for everyone, but emotional security. What who doesn't want that? Well, exactly. Like can I want emotional security and gifts at the same
1: time or do I have to pick? <laughs> you only get one bean.
0: What is it? <laughs> one thing please be nice to me so anyway i don't know that take it or leave it that's e updates but those not are the five love it. languages and i okay so back to love and intimacy what do you think knowing these love languages does for a relationship
1: well i think like you said we're often operating you just said it i think you nailed it we're oh. operating from a place of what we how we view love which is yeah. whatever our love language is and then we're probably just shoving that onto somebody else who might not even be interested in that And being like, why aren't you receptive to this? And I'm actually very into the new additions. Okay. I love shared experiences. Yeah. I I don't know why I'm being so aggressive about it. Like I'm mad at you. You're allowed. You can like it. (laughs) I just felt like emotional
0: security to me was like, yeah, that's table stakes.
1: Fine.
0: Maybe I was really more.
1: Yeah. I was more into the shared experiences. Yeah. I like
0: that one. That one, that one did feel like an update.
1: I was also thinking since you're doing, you are always coaching CEOs and performers and all these people. And I was assuming, I feel like our relationships with our romantic partners impact probably how we operate in all other areas of our lives. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well, there's the answer. So I was curious <laughs> if when you're coaching like um, professionals, even, you know, these executives, do you end up talking about their Romantic lives and how they handle their personal lives. Almost always. Oh, really? Yes. They want to open up to you in that way? I would think like if they're trying to maintain a professional front that maybe they wouldn't share – well,
0: remember that the thing we're working on when someone's coming to me is how to access your truth and how to break down all of the things that have been limiting you so that you can be more in your truth and be more fully in your purpose and more intuitive. Right. And so there's no way of like bifurcating that and just having a professional I'm sorry, conversation. Bifurcating? Okay. Thank you. Big word. <laughs> No, no, thank um, you. There's no way of like breaking that apart and saying, we're only going to talk about this when it comes to your job. True. It's about you as a full human being. Yeah. And the limiting beliefs we have about ourselves, we take into every interaction we have, whether that's at work or with our families or with yeah. our romantic partners or with our friends. And so oh, it naturally interwoven. it naturally interweaves. And I tell people in the beginning of the first session, um, especially my executives. I mean, I coach people who are not executives. I coach people with public personalities that do other things. Um
1: but same but, thing applies, I and think. They're, but-, but they're
0: more open, I would say, because they're they're mm-hmm. like, I'm coming to a purpose and intuition coach. I'm not coming to an executive coach. But my right. executives think they're getting an executive coach. And I always have right. to be like, look, this is a mind, body, soul experience, which means I am here to work with you as a human, like a holistic person, not as a CEO. And they have to opt into that or else it's a no on both parts to
1: coach Do together. you have... So, Coach, do you have people who are like, mm, yeah, I'm not talking about my personal life? And you're like, well, this isn't going to work then. Never once. Oh, really? It just naturally goes there. Like,
0: let us let me give you an example. If we're talking about, for example, you know what? I'm not feeling comfortable with um, putting down a boundary when people are unhappy with me and they want to get a raise or they want to work less or they want to not do what I'm asking them to do. It's usually that. You know, there's there's right? not accountability. And we'll start to dig into like, okay, well, what's the limiting belief there? And it's like, well, I don't want them to be unhappy with me. Okay, well, why? Well, being unhappy with me means I'm doing something wrong. Okay, well, why? Well, because I exist to make other people happy. Okay, well, why? And it kind of goes into the attachment styles, right? It goes into where they got that story to begin with when they were younger, that their value had to do with people pleasing. And when we're talking about that, then naturally, what's going to come up is, okay well where, where are all the areas in your life where you're putting your needs and your truth behind the idea that you exist only to make other people comfortable or happy, and naturally their relationships come up so in a lot of ways, I coach people on relationships I've had couples come i've had I've had people who I coach say, "Can I bring my partner to the what session?
1: no yeah, way 100%. even
0: executives um one one executive. <gasps> Yeah. And what happened? I mean, that's straight up marriage counseling. Yeah. I mean, again, everyone knows I'm not a therapist, right? They're saying like, you're coming to my purpose and intuition coach. This is about me being in my truth. Right. Um, so that's – we put that disclaimer out there. It's always a really awesome experience for everyone because where I'm coming at is developing empathy for one another. It's really about like, let's talk about why each of you believe what you believe and how it is not – you know what I think is the magic – because I mediate a lot You're of conflict. You're the magic. I'm the you magic. No, I mediate magic. a lot of conflict, right? So if co founders right? don't get true. along, or I right? do a lot of conflict mediation. Prior magic, to this, you did that. Didn't you? True. And I, yes, but I do it a lot now. The magic is in when people truly, the light bulb goes off. Oh, it's not personal at all. Like this person is 100% in their trigger, in their limiting belief, in their space of childhood trauma. And they're acting from that space, and they would be projecting that at anyone that was sitting across from them. It's not me. And then when they talk to each other about those limiting beliefs and about those experiences,
1: it just naturally creates a place of empathy. Oh, wow! No wow. wonder you're so good at what you do. <laughs> Wait, now I'm thinking we should do a whole episode where we bring my husband in. Let's do it. don't Let's think do you- I don't think you. I want to do. Well, actually, I want to do it off, off sesh.
0: Oh, my God. I don't know if that works. I know you (laughs) both too well, and I think I'm a little biased. I'm a little bit like mess with my best friend, and you're fucking dead. And you mess with me. Exactly.
1: So I feel like the listeners deserve – I feel like we were like, we're going to make this light and breezy, and it's going to be rainbows and love from here on out. And somehow it didn't totally feel like that, even though I feel like there are a lot of takeaways from this. And I'm actually really thrilled that we did a two-parter on this. Me too. We should – think about two-parters sometimes and not just leave it where it was. Yeah. Um, Dig thank you. deeper. Yeah. But I do think that people deserve a chance to learn how to evolve through these different attachment styles, these different love languages to a place where they can be in a healthy relationship, no matter where they came from, what's going on, how do you dive deep and kind of cleanse whatever attachment, whatever trauma happened to you as a child as a whatever, that is impeding your ability to be in a uh, CEO role, a romantic role. Does that I, make sense? My it does. Clearly? No, I'm
0: glad. I'm glad you asked. I'm happy to tell you my perspective and the way I coach around this. I mean, first of all, if we go back to last episode where we were talking about the way that love is idealized, you know, I think that the first answer to your question is realizing that being in a relationship isn't what makes you valuable. You right. know, I think it's breaking down the mythology that your value comes from a commitment that someone else is giving you. That's bullshit. Being in a relationship is about getting your needs met, feeling that you have companionship, you know, being able to experience life and grow with someone. It's not about proving to yourself or to everyone that you're valuable enough to be loved. That has to come from inside. So I would say that. I'm glad we actually spent so much time on the ways that relationships are idealized and the movies have taught us to like need someone to chase us through the airport to think that we matter. Right. That's not, that's, that's not, not how you matter. How you matter is really starting with yourself. And first of all, how addicted to other people's validation are you to even get a sense of whether you're valuable or not? I mean, I will say this is the thing about you being that I love so much is that um, you were one of the first people I saw in my adult life really come from a centered sense of self, like really know who you were without people constantly telling you. And so I think Mm -hmm. that that is foundational is work when you feel if you're resonating. how do you get there? Well, yeah. I think if you're resonating with this notion of, oh my God, I'm either in a toxic relationship or I attract toxic relationships or I want a relationship and I haven't been able to bring one into my life, then it is about going within to say, okay, what are the beliefs I hold about myself that tell me I either don't deserve one or I'm lucky enough just to have someone look my way and that's enough to be in a relationship, right? Oftentimes, I think we can get into relationships because the other person gives us attention or tells us that they want right. us because they have a right. desire to be totally. with us. That's not enough anymore. Someone no. just wanting to be with you is not a, a measuring stick for yes, yes you're in. like that's. They need a longer application. So I think it starts with what do I believe about myself that tells me that just looking my way is enough? Do I believe I'm not lovable? Do I believe I don't deserve partnership? Do I believe I'm hard to be with? Do I believe I enjoy my free time? Too? I, one limiting belief system I get in with a lot of my really strong clients who identify as female
1: yeah. is
0: I enjoy my independence too much to be in a relationship. And it's like, who told you, oh, the patriarchy. That you can't. Oh, that you can't enjoy (laughs) your independence? The patriarchy told you you have to be codependent as someone who identifies as female to be be in a relationship. So this is what I mean about breaking down these limiting beliefs is like what tells you that a healthy relationship where you're both growing together and supporting one another is not available to you? And identifying those limiting beliefs and identifying where they came from. They were probably modeled for you by your parents. They probably came from the Disneyfication of romance. They came from somewhere external to you. It's not that there's something flawed within you. It's that a seed was planted within you that was flawed, that grew within you, that told you love had to look a certain way and you aren't up to par to get it. And so understanding that is step number one.
1: But then how do you, so let's say you understand that and you're like, oh, now I get why I feel this way. How do you uh, move through that? I mean, Beautiful. if that's like ingrained in you, oh, yes. thank you. Thank you for Beautiful. that transition. No, thank you Step for the, whatever two, answer you're giving me. Because I think that's the hardest part. People can identify, but then they're like, now what do I do? What you do is get
0: clear on what you need. We have oh, been trained to believe yes. that relationships are about what the other person needs.
1: We, and we even discussed up, that, though, in this episode. Yeah,
0: in the attachment it, styles. Right, yeah. To show up giving people what they need. That is the wrong way in. If you're not clear on exactly what you need in order to feel intimate and loved and supported, you're never going to get it because you're not going to know how to create boundaries when you don't get it. You're not going to know how to ask for it when you need it. So step number two after you figure out your limiting beliefs is what do I specifically
1: need in a relationship? Bean, what do you need in a relationship? Uh, sa- I think words of affirmation. That's honestly what I need. Like, y- you're doing a great job. Ye- Yahoo! Good. You word. know what I mean? Or like, I appreciate what you did here. Yeah. Just honestly, I think it's just about being seen. That's how I feel seen. Like, hey, great job with whatever, celebrating yeah. the kid's birthday or whatever it is. Like, great job on doing that. I do. You, you know what else I really like? Like, would you? Do you need help? Do you need some help? Mm -hmm. You look like you're struggling. Do you need some help? Yeah. Yeah. Right. So spending time to get
0: clear on those needs, and this is where I really spent a lot of time after my divorce, is like, wait a minute, I don't want to recreate the same dynamic again. What have I been doing this whole time? I have been existing solely for the other person and solely for their needs. Because I was trained through my heritage, my culture, my family systems, the media, that that was my role. That's how I was going to be valuable. If that's not true, then what is true? Oh, what's true is what I need. Here's what I need. I need freedom. I am someone who values freedom, which means I need a partner who's not intimidated by that. I need someone who sees me at my highest self at all times, even when I fail to, who reminds me, no, 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 this is who you are. And this is what you're capable of. I need someone to have adventure with. I like fun and joy and spontaneity. So I, I had feel to- like you're
1: describing me, your relationship with me. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you do, I'm it's like, yep, true. I do that for her. Yep, but I do that with her. <laughs> you know what, though, in the friendship episode,
0: we talked about what's the difference between just being a friend and a best friend. I do think that it's very
1: similar. Oh, like yes. your best
0: friend is an intimate partner.
1: Yes. Is
0: an intimate partner. I
1: feel that way about you. I truly do. Yeah. Like I need, I look to your support. And you're like, how can I help you? And I'm like, oh, she does love me. (laughs) Exactly. And I I think it's sometimes it's easier between friends, women. Yeah, as women. We can be in a more
0: emotive space. So anyway, you get clear on your needs, right? I hope I just made that. Those are mine, but I hope that's clear. And then number three is you express your needs without fear of being abandoned, without fear of being rejected or let down. And a in lot A non-aggressive of, way, like just in a matter-of-fact yes, way, right? This is what I need. Right. And I think the reason we don't do that is because um, we have been trained to believe that our needs are unacceptable, inconvenient, dangerous, too much, too yeah. much. And if we yeah. say them, then we're going to either receive rejection or we're going to that person's going to leave us. I just want to yeah. say this loud and clear: If someone can't meet your needs, they got to go. You write that down, yo. Write that shit down, man. Let them leave. You know why? Because there is plenty of opportunity to magnetize the person who can meet your needs. It's all energy. And I when mean, you you're admit, living proof, man. Thank you. I feel like I worked hard for this. You and sure I'm is still working hard for this. Our relationship is still. We just last night had a conversation about feeling like, oh, hold on, we're kind of operating at two different frequencies. Let's just. Have a but you had the conversation.
1: Right? Yeah, that's but what that's makes this work. different. That is yeah. hard work. But that's yeah. what makes your marriage, this marriage, different from other relationships that you've had, is that you'll say it, you'll share it. He he listens. He internalizes what you say and responds. But it's a consistent effort. It is a consistent. And sometimes when we're not having our good days, it sh- no
0: one's listening. But, of course. And then the last one I just want to wrap up is uh, boundaries.
1: What are boundaries. the consequences for not meeting your needs? Do you know. know what they are? I don't know. I think I shut down. That's right. what happens. And I don't right. think that's healthy at all. But I right. know that's what I do when my needs are not being met. Yes. It's just easier than addressing it half the time, I feel like, which is yes. sad. My boundaries
0: are, you know, if my needs aren't being met, I'm sure a shit not going to go uh, above and beyond to meet yours. That's a slippery slope. You know what I mean? Well, but that's where the courageous conversations come in. You can't just be in a silent cold war of not meeting each other's needs. But I just think that what I used to do that was toxic is, oh, my needs aren't being met. I'm going to try extra hard to meet yours to see if you'll meet mine. And now my boundary is no. If you're not meeting me there, I'm not going to show up. I'm not meeting you there. So anyway, that's how I coach people around – Coming to a more healed state of being in intimacy and being in romantic relationships is that process of working no. through those four stages.
1: Now I really do want to do a session with you and Corey and Oh, me. my God. I don't know.
0: <laughs> I don't know about that. Let's I'm just sleep on that. Listen, this is the last thing I want to say about love. Love is meant to help you grow and expand. Oh, I love that, that takeaway. Is it? I do love that takeaway. That's all. And if you are stuck and you're not growing, then it is not
1: meeting your needs. Some heavy shit to digest.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it's also really important to understand and to know because that's, true. that's what love is. It's true. Everything right. else we believe that it is, that is not what it is. Love is an energy that is here for expansion and growth. Love is And that can look like so energy.
1: many different things. To different people, like expansion, exactly. looks so different to everybody.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's growing towards what's in your best interest of in
1: your highest good. Wow, and that's really tricky for both parties to be able to do that. It Which is, I guess, is why marriage is super duper hard. Super duper hard. Wait, what happened and to not love for is, everyone? What happened to happened to us being like, we're gonna boost you up. We're gonna. I do woo-woo. think this. No, don't you I think agree. this is helpful no, information. I think this is insanely helpful. I just feel okay. like this was actually okay. one of our heavier episodes. Love is serious, man. Yeah, it really is. Love is warrior work. Wow. It's not for the light faint of heart. It's no joke. Yeah, love it. That's we're going to we're going to end it on that note. Love is no joke. Write that down everybody.
0: This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Gushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushree Thekidat, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then.